NBA on NBC. What is up, everybody? This is Jim Mylock, and you're listening to Pot of Fame, the podcast where we break down the careers of former athletes and decide whether or not they should get a call to the hall. On today's podcast, we're talking about former MLB first baseman Fred McGriff, or whether or not he should be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. And joining us in just a moment, discuss McGriff's career and Hall of Fame candidacy is USA Today baseball columnist and Hall of Fame voter Bob Nightingale. Before we bring Bob on, let's talk a little more about McGriff. So McGriff is someone who came on the ballot in 2010 and then fell off the ballot in 2019. He stayed on all 10 years, but never got over 40% of the vote. He, he maxed out in 2019 with 39.8% of the vote. So for McGriff, it is up to the senior committee now to get him in. Now, he made the ballot this year for the senior committee. This year's senior committee voting is the Contemporary Baseball Air Committee. Uh, and this committee looks at any player that played a majority of the career after 1980. Um, and then they vote on them. It's a 16-member committee. Uh, each committee member can vote up to three players. And there's eight people on the ballot. McGriff is one of them this year. And you have to at least receive 12 votes to get in. So again, 16 member or 16 member committee. Uh, each committee member has three votes and you have to get at least 12 of those votes to get in the hall. So 75%, just like the normal, you know, ballot. So that's what McGriff's up against. Now the players on the ballot with McGriff, some pretty big names here, Albert Bell. It's probably the, the, the smallest name, but Albert Bell Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Don Mattingly, Dale Murphy, Rafael Palmero, and Kurt Schilling. So yes, uh, the 16-person committee, each committee member can vote for up to three players, and it will take at least 12 votes to be a member of the 2023 class. So that is what McGriff is up against this year, and if he doesn't get in this year, he'd have to wait for this committee to come back around three years from now. So that's what McGriff is up against. Now, McGriff's career, stellar career, played from 1986 to 2004, 19-year career, and almost played the same amount of games in the NL or a and AL. He kind of played, played 1,305 games in the NL and 1,155 games in the AL. Five years in Tampa, five years in Atlanta, five years in Toronto, three years in the pot with the Padres, Two years with my Cubbies and one year with the Dodgers. And over that court, over the course of that career with all those different teams, he was super consistent. Um, he was a five-time All-Star. He was a three-time Silver slug, Slugger. He finished in the top 10 MVP votes six different seasons. Uh, he won the 1995 World Series with the Atlanta Braves. And in that World Series, he hit two home runs at three RBIs. So um, great World Series. He was also the MVP um, of the All-Star Game in 94. For his career, he had a 52.6 war, 2,490 hits, and he had 493 career home runs, which is good for 29th in MLB history. He also drove in 1,550 RBIs, which is good for 47th in MLB history. And if you care about walks, which some people do, 1,305 career walks, also 47th in MLB history. So top 50 all-time in home runs, RBIs, and walks. 
He was a 284 career hitter with a 134 OPS plus. And believe it or not, led the league in home runs twice in 1989 and 1992. And the reason I say believe it or not is because the one thing about McGriff, and we're talking about this quite a bit with Bob, is he steadily hit 30 home runs per season, but he never hit 40. So yes, he led the league in home runs twice with 36 and 35 home runs, but again, never hit over 40. However, hit over 30 home runs, 10 different seasons and drove in over 100 RBIs, eight different seasons. So again, consistency is the name of the game from McGriff. And it's something Bob and I hit on quite a bit throughout this podcast. And we're going to talk about, you know, although being consistent, does that somehow hurt him? Does not having all-time peak seasons hurt him? Does not being in the 500 club hurt him? Does playing in the steroid area hurt him? There's a lot of things that might have hurt Fred McGriff and maybe is why he is on the outside looking in the Hall of Fame right now. But Bob and I are going to say, you know, does all that matter? And at the end of the day, does McGriff belong in Cooperstown? So we have a great show for you today. It is also Thanksgiving week. So if you have a short week ahead of you, so you got a McGriff episode, you got a short week ahead of you, a lot of great things coming up. So with the quick facts out of the way, let's bring on Bob. All right. I'd like to welcome to the podcast today, USA Today baseball columnist and Hall of Fame voter, Bob Nightingale. Bob, how are you doing today? Yeah, doing great. Thanks, Jim. So, Bob, we are talking about someone who has been in the news recently. Um, Last week, Fred McGriff was elected as one of the eight players to make up the contemporary baseball air ballot. Um, This is the new committee that has been formed with is really looking at players that mainly contributed to baseball after 1980. There was eight players elected to that ballot. Fred McGriff, who is our co- topic of conversation today, is one of those eight players. But I will tell you, Bob, it's a it's a pretty stacked lineup. Uh, you know, Barry Bonds, Clemens, Dale Murphy, Rafael Palmero, Kurt Schilling, Albert Bell, and Don Mattingly all are on that ballot with Fred McGriff. And that ballot will actually be, you know, voted on December 4th and and announced later that day. So within the next three weeks, we will know whether or not, you know, Fred McGriff is elected to the Hall of Fame. And today what we're going to do is talk about his career, his Hall of Fame candidacy, and whether or not we think he should get in, whether they think he'll get in this year. Uh, Bob, the first thing I'm going to ask you, though, at the top here is when you hear the name Fred McGriff or he gets brought up in conversation, what's the first thing that's come to your mind? Uh, just consistency. I mean, the most consistent, you know, one of the most consistent power hitters we've ever seen. Uh, so I'm going to say every year you looked up, it was 30 home runs, 100 ribbies, a guy who was uh, played the game clean, no, uh, you know, no steroid use, no, you know, you know, HGH, any of that stuff. And, uh, but just a, uh, uh, you know, just kind of a role model too. I mean, he was the guy everybody gravitated to, uh, I was able to cover him when he was with the San Diego Padres after he got traded for the Toronto Blue Jays. And uh, after he got traded over, the Padres uh, traded for Gary Sheffield. Uh, Sheffield was kind of a troubled player at the time, kind of run out of Milwaukee. It wasn't for Fred McGriff telling him, hey, you're living, you're going to uh, move next door to me. I'm going to take care of you. I don't think Gary Sheffield has that kind of career either. Yeah. No, I mean, the consistency you brought up is what I think most people – Think of when they think of McGriff, 10 seasons with 30 plus homers, eight seasons with over 100 RBIs. 
the thing that's interesting, right? He, he was almost, I don't want to say too consistent, but you know, home run wise, never hit over 40, led the league twice, but never hit over 40. Every single year was between 31 and 37 home runs. And sure enough, he was always driving in a hundred RBIs, but it was always just over it. 101 to 107. Every time he was smacking a hundred, he never had one of those 130, 140 RBI seasons, but he was always consistently every year, 30, just about 30, 34 home runs, you know, just 101, 103 RBIs. And he was that model consistency for a very long time. Now, McGriff played for a number of teams, you know, Tampa, Atlanta, Toronto, Padres, my Cubbies, and even the Dodgers for a year. I think most of my listeners know when you get in the Hall of Fame, there is a hat placed on top of, you know, the player's head. If McGriff were to get in, what hat would you put on him? Bob, what do you, where do you think? Because again, he had a, everywhere he played, he was again, consistently good. What, what hat do you think would go on McGriff if he were to get in? I, well, I think he'd be wearing that Atlanta cap. I really do. Uh, that'd be the only one he would choose. You know, that, that or no cap. I would think Atlanta. And that's where he was, uh, you know, so great. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, great everywhere. But that's when, you know, that's where he won the World Series. That's where he you know, really stood out. So I would be, you know, he's a special assistant now also for Atlanta. So I'd be surprised if it wasn't, if it wasn't that team. Yeah, I, I would say Atlanta as well. Um, I was surprised when I look back, he only played five years there. It seemed longer, but as you said, he did win that World Series in 95 with the Braves and had a, had a, you know, had a great postseason for him that, that really helped them, you know, one of their best, if not their best hitter um, on those Braves teams that, that, again, did win that championship in 95. I do want to go to our next segment, Bob. We call this That Memorable Moment. And what we try to do here, and you can be very liberal here, it's if you had to pick one moment in his career, and this could be a game, this could be a single play, could be a playoff series, it could be a postseason run, an entire season if you really wanted to be. But what would you say McGriff's most memorable moment of his career was? Well, it certainly had to be the 95 World Series, just kind of, uh, you know, taking that team on his back, finally uh, gaining him that, that that first, you know, championship, uh, you know, kind of carrying that team. I mean, without him, you know, they don't win a World Series. Uh, the flip end, I think, we'll always remember, you know, back in the, uh, you know, 90, uh, was it 97, when they uh, lost to the uh, Miami Marlins in that strike zone by Eric Gregg was so outrageous. It just uh, the look of disbelief when he's getting, uh, when Fred McGlish getting called out, uh, on pitches that are uh, about a foot outside the strike zone, <laughs> I always remember that as remember that as well. Yeah, no, in his postseason, I mean, not just ninety five, ninety seven. I mean, he was a great postseason player player for his career. I, I, honestly, every year he played. Again, this is a common theme when you're talking about McGriff. He was consistent. He's not someone that disappeared in the playoffs. He kind of did just what he was doing at times better than the regular season and for his career. 303 hitter in the postseason, 10 home runs, 37 RBIs. And in that 95 run, uh, as you kind of mentioned, he he really was their most consistent and maybe best hitter of the playoffs. Um, you know, in the in the World Series itself, he had two home runs, you know, two doubles, three RBIs. Um, you know, against the Rockies in that first series, he bad 333 with two home runs and six RBIs. And in the NL 
CS, he batted 438 with four doubles. He was consistently dependable and someone you'd always want, you know, in the battery box if you if you were needing some runs. McGriff kind of was that guy. Uh, I do want to go to our next segment here, Bob. We call this and twins. No, quarterbacks eating dirt, pom poms and short skirts, fans who won't quit, and those twins. And what we try to do here, um, you look at Cooperstown today, you look at all the plaques in there, and whether it be, you know, this player reminds me of McGriff because of the style and the way they played, or maybe it's strictly a numbers case, or maybe it's a little of both. But Bob, if you were to look, at Cooperstown today, who do you say is the closest twin to Fred McGriff? I'm going to go with Willie McCovey. Uh, you look at their stats, they're almost identical. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, McCovey's in the uh, Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, McCovey had a couple of 40 home run uh, seasons. Uh, so, if, you know, Fred was more consistent. You know, the both, you know, in the All-Star uh, games, I think Fred was five. Uh, McCovey was six times. And just, uh, you know, both consistent top 10 MVP guys. Uh, you know, Brad McGriff finished in the top 10 six times in his career. Uh, you know, eight times he had MVP votes. You know, and similar also to uh, Stargell. Was a, uh, I mean, uh, uh, Stargell McCovey, I should say, but uh, particularly McCovey. So uh, I, was, I would look at both those guys. But uh, if I would say here's a Hall of Famer, uh, I go just like just like Willie McCovey. McCovey had two 40, 40 home run seasons, but he wasn't didn't have those uh, all those you know when they have a uh, ten thirty run home run seasons uh, you know eight eight times uh, one hundred ribby seasons twelve times ninety or more ribbies so just that consistency but you know pretty pretty close to uh, McCovey. So we have identical answers. I had McCovey and Starchill down here. Um, and, you know, those are guys who um, I feel like the Hall thought those were clear Hall of Famers. You know, McCovey gets in his very first year on the ballot. I, I believe Starchill did as well. And, you know, if you look at their career numbers for both McCovey and Starchill compared to McGriff, you, I mean, it is almost identical. And if you look at slash lines, McGriff really kind of beats them both out. What they both possess that McGriff – you know, didn't have what were those MVP series or MVP awards. But other than that, I mean, again, very consistent, same kind of careers. I, I mean, Bob, why, why does someone like McCovey or Stargell get in kind of with, uh, you know, no, no real problems at all where McGriff outside of his final year on the ballot, where he just got under 40% was always hovering in the 20%. What, what separates McGriff from McCovey and Stargell? Because when you look at numbers, that doesn't seem to really be the case. Other than the MVP, what what, what is it? Well, I think it was simply, uh, Jim, because uh, McGriff played the steroid era. So uh, McCovey and Stargell did not. Uh, with McGriff, when he was hitting his 30 and 100, you know, year after year, you'd have guys, uh, Bond hitting 73 home runs, you know, McGuire hitting 70. You know, Sosa had inning over 60. I mean, even uh, Louis Gonzalez had 57 one year. So just the uh, the stories were out, so out of control at the time. So a lot of times, you know, uh, Fred numbers would get dwarfed because they just weren't outlandish cartoonish type numbers. So he, uh, I think he really got punished just by playing that era and by playing clean. Hey, if Fred McGriff had used steroids, he would have hit 50, 60 home runs a year too. 
just like the other guys. Yeah. And, and, and like, you know, for McCovey, they're like, well, he was in the 500. And this is going to – people hear about this McGriff all the time. I want to hear your take, though. Like, McCovey got to the 500 home run club, 521. Stargell was 475, so he didn't get the club. I hear a lot of people tell me sometimes, you know, McGriff ends at 493 home runs. He tried to – you try to hang on to get to 500 with Tampa, but just really kind of lost it. And, I mean, he was four years old at the time. Never got there. Some people are like, well, if McGriff got to 500, they, they'd have to put him in. He would have been in. What do you think, Bob? If he seven, it seems silly to me, but seven more home runs, if he lands on a perfect 500, does that change what happened when he was on the ballot? Do you think people really would have been like, well, he hit 500, we have to let him in now? I think it hurt him at the very beginning of the ballot. I'm not sure about the end. I think people's minds start you know, changing. Okay. The seven home runs make that big a difference. But 500 is such a magical number. I think it, you know, did play a factor. But I think the real factor, Jim, is the fact that he bounced around with so many different teams. Mm. There wasn't one team that openly campaigned for him. I mean, we see so many teams now, you know, campaigning for their own players and things like that. And the fact that, uh, you know, Fred bounced around with the five, six different teams. Uh, he had 30 home runs. Uh, or more with five different teams. You know, only he and Sheffield have ever done that. But I, I think that hurt him by, by playing with so many teams. Yeah, no, and, and, that, and that's kind of a perfect segue into the final segment here. We call this court. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! And what we do here is, again, we talk about the pros and cons, and, and we've, of uh, his Hall of Fame can and we've kind of been doing that already. But, you know, when we when we look at McGriff's, numbers right I feel we keep talking about how consistent he is and the hall of fame rewards long careers that that put up numbers this is not the football hall of fame or the basketball hall of fame where you can have three or four peak seasons and then you're you're you can be in if you were great enough the baseball hall of fame rewards you know unless you're a, a sandy koufax or a, a ralph kiner or a joe dimaggio it rewards players that play for a very long time and put up great numbers and are great when they're playing and when I look at McGriff, I, I mean, 30th all-time in home, or I'm sorry, 29th all-time in home runs. Everyone that's ahead of him on that list is in the Hall of Fame that isn't tied to PEDs. That's separate. And then if you're looking at ribbies, just RBIs, 47th all-time. Everyone ahead of him that's not tied to PEDs, they're in the Hall of Fame. So when you're talking about just strictly counting numbers, McGriff seems like he has the home run totals, the RBI totals. He was a great postseason player, all of this stuff. Usually the Hall of Fame rewards putting up these kind of numbers for a long time and being successful for a long time for most players. It did not reward McGriff. Now you've brought up, he bounced around a lot. You brought up the steroid air, but still these numbers put him among the all-time greats. Is, th is there anything else, but we haven't mentioned yet, like why was putting up all these career numbers not good enough for McGriff, but it's kind of been good enough for everyone that's come before him? Yeah, I, mean, I really just believe the uh, he never had, because he never had that big, you know, fifty home run season or you know didn't even have forty for that matter. Uh, but you know, neither did Hank Aaron. I mean, Hank Aaron wasn't having a fifty home run seasons either. So I, I just think because he was so consistent, uh, it's almost like you know if you go to the award winners like say uh, uh, manager of the year, uh, you know if you win manager of the year when you when you're consistently good, you got to be a, a have a lousy season. 
and bounce back. McGriff never had that that season. So it was always like, oh, look at that fabulous season. He's come back play of the year. That never happened. So as, as funny as it sounds, it's almost like he's getting penalized for his uh, great consistency. Yeah, no, it, it does. And it's, it's, it's a little, again, for the Baseball Hall of Fame, it does seem odd to me that he does get kind of knocked for that. And I think, as you said earlier, I think being in the steroid era does kind of mur- like muddle his accomplishments. Again, you look back, he did lead the league technically. I mean, not technically, he did lead the league in home runs in 1989 and 1992. But you look at the totals and it's, you know, 36 home runs in 89 with Toronto and then 35 home runs in San Diego. I mean, that's, <laughs> I think the one season Bonds had 39 at the All-Star break. So those numbers, <laughs> you know, right, those numbers, he led the league, his league in home runs that year. But they look like, I mean, you ask a kid and I, I grew up in the 90s. You ask me in 1998 if 35 home runs is a lot, I'd probably tell you it's not. But then you look at now, in retrospect, all those players, as you said, I think earlier, if McGriff was taking PDs because we definitely know he wasn't because he was basically the same size the day he came in, the day he left. You know, he would have been putting up those numbers as well, and, and he would have got way past that 500 mark, probably would have pushed 600. His ribbies would have been up too, and maybe we're having a different conversation. But – the other thing I kind of want to talk about here before we get to final verdict is when we're looking at players, right? It's, it's good to look at all time. How does he compare, but also contemporaries, you know, when he was playing, who were the other first baseman in the league? Was he one of the top first baseman in the league? And it does get kind of murky here because of PDs, but names I was drawing out that were first baseman when he was playing are, are you know, people like McGuire, Jeff Bagwell, Rafael Palmero, Frank Thomas, uh, even players like Carlos Delgado and Todd Helton. During his career, Bob, because Fred, again, was super consistent, but never had these like, you know, 47, 48 home run seasons or, you know, 130 RBI seasons like a Helton would have had, a Delgado had. If you're looking as contemporaries of when he played, so against Thomas, McGuire, Palmero, Bagwell, Helton, Delgado, where, where does McGriff rank to you among those guys? What, would you have said he was a top three, four first baseman of his air, or where do you have him ranking? Yeah, it's only top three for sure. Remember now, from, from 1989 to 1997, he hit the third most home runs of any player in baseball. The only guys who had more were McGuire and, uh, and Bonds, who, of course, were retained by the uh, PEDs. So that's how you know, great of a player he was. I'd certainly put him ahead of uh, Palma, uh, not Palmero. Certainly put him ahead of a Jeff Bagwell. I'd certainly put him ahead of uh, you know some of the DHs too. You know whether it's a uh, uh, you know uh, uh, Harold Baines, you know who played some first base. Uh, certainly uh, you know more than uh, Edgar Martinez. Uh, you know Palmero was very good. Obviously tainted by the steroids, he was fantastic. Uh, you know, Thomas had some monster monster numbers, but primarily DH. But you're just talking about, you know, playing at first base. I'd certainly say he was in the top three first basemen uh, of his era because uh, he wasn't, you know, he played a whole lot more first base than he did DH. Yeah. No, and, and, and I would say so too. And again, some of those names, like you talked about Bagwell. Bagwell's in the Hall of Fame already. Like, he he's in the conversation and he's, he's definitely one of the best of that era, which had great first baseman. The last thing I wanted to get to here was around 
okay, we say consistency, consistency, consistency. And that's all he was. That's Fred McGriff. Peak, though, does matter. And you do like to see players in the Hall of Fame do have a season or two you can point to saying, you know, that was his MVP season. This is the season he really tore, you know, the cover off the ball. He drove in this many runs, et cetera. McGriff's peak, again, you can point to like 37 home runs one year, 107 RBIs one year. It never jumps off the screen or anything like that. It's nothing you can hang your hat on, I guess. Do you think those lack of peak seasons hurt him? And, and Bob, do you consider someone in the Hall of Fame has to have a peak season or two that really stands out to be considered for Cooperstown? Or is being consistent good enough in your eyes? Oh, I think just being consistent. Uh, you know, you go back to nineteen, uh, you know, ninety four when that when that season was cut short. He had thirty four home runs and ninety four ribbies. He would have had well over forty home runs that year. He might have won the uh, the MVP that season. Uh, he was he was going great guns. So uh, you know, hey, Tony Gwynn was very consistent too. Now, if you say, okay, what's Tony Gwynn's great season? You know, hey, you kind of you know blend them together. You know. Uh, some of these guys, I don't care if you're talking about an Al Kane line back in the day or what, but I think, you know, you, you got to be a mild consistency. Uh, you know, when we put in a guy like, you know, some of these guys like uh, Larry Walker, he missed a lot of time with injuries. He wasn't playing and he still got in. And here's guys like, you know, we mentioned Todd Helton as well. Hey, they played at Coors Field. Uh, you know, if Fred McGriff played at Coors Field, you know, during his uh, you know home career, he might have had 600 home runs. Yeah, no, and, and that 94, I'm glad you brought that up, actually. The 94 season, obviously, shortened by the strike. He only played 113 games in those 113 four, or thirteen games, 34 home runs, 94 RBIs, a 318 batting average. That would have been his year. He probably would have hit well over 40, probably would have hit well over 107 RBIs, which he never did another year and had a 300 batting average. A big what if. You know, if that season isn't a strike, Bob, that 94 season plays out, McGriff gets these totals. Again, it sounds silly because it's just, you know, one season that was shortened a bit. But if that season never gets, you know, shortened and he plays that full season and he puts up, you know, 44 home runs, let's say 115 RBIs, does that change the way we were looking at his Hall of Fame candidacy when he was on the ballot? Do you think, you know, he has, you know, he gets in in that, that first 10 years if that 94 season can go to completion. Yeah, that's what you're talking about a, uh, you know, a, a monster year there. He finished, what, eighth MVP, you know, but he would have been higher. And, uh, you know, you know, those years before that, too, when he finished, you know, fourth in 92 in the MVP race. So I was covering him with the, with the pod race and the, uh, you know, uh, you know, fourth the next year. It's just a... Uh, you know, to be in the, you know, get MVP votes that many years, you know, eight times, it shows you just how, how solid he's been. But yeah, I agree. If he had that one big season, like you're talking about in, in 94, 95, that stuff cut short, uh, you know, maybe certainly he would have over 500 home runs. So I mean, that would have, uh, you know, pushed him over the top as well. And Bob, do you think his advanced metric, like again, today, a lot of people love, I'm not a lot. Most people love talking about war, love talking about jaws, love talking about some more advanced metrics with McGriff doesn't rate out that well on that, you know, 52.6 career war, which if you look at the average first baseman in the hall of fame, 
um, is a bit below. The average first baseman is about 66 war. How much stock do you take into war, jaws, all these, you know, advanced metrics when you're looking at someone's Hall of Fame candidacy? Does that matter to you at all? Does it matter just a little? Are you more of an eye test guy? I mean, how, how big of a role does that play when you're looking at a candidate? Yeah, for me, the eye test and just the, the pure numbers, not the war. I mean, the war is just so flawed. I mean, I think a couple of years ago, uh, they did a you know, war on the best defensive catchers in baseball. Yanni Molina, who might be the greatest defensive catcher of all time, was in the top half. There are just too many things wrong with it. You know, when you're watching guys that, uh, I mean, you, you would, the war would have you think that Derek Jeter is the worst defensive shortstop of all time. <laughs> and, you know, and here is a uh, Hall of Famer who had a, you know, how to position himself, just like Ripken. So, no, I think a, uh, you know, to go back in time like that, you know, I don't think that's right. And I think, you know, nowadays it's like with, you know, with the war and stuff, we're, you know, talking about, we're, you know, we're getting so excited about guys getting walks. Well, a lot of times guys get walks, all you do is clogging the base pass. You know, you got to swing the bat. And his job was to produce runs, score runs and drive them in. And that's what he did. I mean, that's why we have a scoreboard for is to, uh, you know, get teams wins, and that's how you win games. And he was on a winning team a lot, and he was a big part of that. You know, I mean, when you have guys from Chipper Jones to Tom Glavin to Maddox, you know, con- you know, Smoltz constantly saying this guy deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, you know, it's a crime that he isn't. You know, I completely agree with that. I, You know, the uh, since I've been on the Hall of Fame, you know, committee or – you know, casting ballots for the Hall of Fame. I thought the two guys we missed out on the most were, was Fred McGriff and, uh, and Jack Morris, who eventually got into the, the Veterans Committee. Yeah, so, Bob, final questions here for you. I'm going I'm to ask you two questions, and I'm going to answer them as well. I'm going to let you go first, though. And you kind of just answer the first one. One, you know, would do you think McGriff belongs in the Hall of Fame? Do you think he's a Hall of Famer? And then my second question to you is going to be, do you think he gets into the Hall of Fame this year? Yeah, I absolutely believe he's a Hall of Famer. I believe, uh, you know, uh, of all the years of voting, the writers' votes, that they got that one wrong. He, he deserves to be in. You had to be around him. You had to see uh, his consistency, what he meant to a team, how guy, how he made players better, his own teammates, uh, and what he meant for the game. I mean, he was a uh, – in idol uh, role model. You can't find one bad thing to say about Fred McGriff and just what he stood for. Uh, second part, I, I think he gets to the Hall of Fame uh, on December 4th. Uh, I think the ballot is set up that is perfect for him. Uh, people aren't going to put in Bonds and Clemens and uh, Palmero right away just because of the steroid uh, stuff. Uh, guys like Mattingly have been there you know, on that ballot uh, forever and, and never got in. So I, I'd be surprised uh, or might even be stunned if Fred McGriff isn't uh, in the Hall of Fame on the night of December 4th. Yeah, I'm uh, boring enough. I'm agreeing with you on both of these questions. Um, do I think McGriff's a Hall of Famer? If you're top 30 in home runs, top 50 in RBIs, everyone ahead of you is in already, unless you're tied to PDs and McGriff's not. I don't see how you can keep him out. He has the numbers that the Hall of Fame always looks for, as well as, I mean, he did it for a very long time. And, you know, even items that are a little more advanced, like OPS or OPS Plus, he consistently had high levels of that his whole career. 
Um, one of the better offensive players, I think, of you know the last 30 years. Uh, do I think he'll get in on this ballot? I, I couldn't agree with you more, too. I think he will get on the contemporary baseball ballot. Um, you know, I look at the other first baseman on here, Don Mattingly. I, I think Don Mattingly was a great player in the 80s, but I think Fred McGriff's resume way outshines him. The other players on here, I don't I don't think Bonds and Clemens and Paul Merrill maybe get in yet. Albert Bell, I, great player, but not McGriff's caliber. Um, I, I think McGriff gets in. So I, I think this, you know, this podcast is going to drop and then I think he'll get in and, and then McGriff will be in Cooperstown where I, I feel like he rightfully belongs. And it sounds like you do too. So um, we will have yeah, to absolutely. see, Bob, we'll have to see what happens. A uh, question for you though, contemporary baseball air ballot. So we, we, the, or my listeners and myself do not know who's making up that committee. Do, are you aware? And is that, <clears throat> Is that being released anytime soon? Yeah, it'll be released uh, uh, sometime, probably a a week or two, maybe two weeks before the vote comes out. It's a 16-person committee. You have to have 12 of the 16 votes to get in. Uh, The voters are only allowed to uh, vote for four four players maximum. I think McGriff's the only one that gets in this ballot. I really do. Mm. Uh, you know, we've had bouts before where nobody gets in from the veterans uh, committee, but, uh, you know, a different committee were the ones who chose these, uh, these final eight players in this would be a different committee of uh, 16 people. You're talking about baseball historians, uh, I think three writers, four hall of famers, four baseball executives. And one thing to remember too, is that the baseball hall of famers do not want steroid guys in the hall of fame. Yep. Uh, there were guys who were talking about boycotting the, uh, the event last year, induction ceremony last year, just because David Ortiz got in with anonymous drug test, a positive drug test, uh, you know, back in 2003. So uh, I, I think if these guys get in, I think that those bonds and Clemens will get in one day, but I think it's going to take some time. Uh, I, I think, I think McGriff's the only guy that gets in. I just have a hard time believing that, you know, we're not going to have 12 to 16 voting them in if not, you know, if not all 16. Yeah. So you heard it here first. Bob Nightingale believes Fred McGriff will get into the Hall of Fame this year. And, and Bob, we'll find out within the next three weeks post Thanksgiving. Um, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast today. Before I get you out of here, anything you want to plug at the end? No, just a, uh, you know, I've covered baseball for a long time. And, uh, and I will say McGriff's one of uh, my favorite guys to ever cover. Just ultimate role model, teammate, uh, consummate teammate. And uh, a fun guy to cheer for. So I think if McGriff gets in the Hall of Fame, uh, it'll be a you know, wonderful day you know, next to Lyon Cooperstown. Uh, I'll be there and I'll be writing about it for, <laughs> for USA Today. Awesome. Bob, thanks a lot for coming on. Um, Enjoyed talking to you and uh, we'll have to see what happens uh, in the next three weeks. It'll be interesting. All right. My pleasure. Thank you, Jim. All right. I want to thank Bob again for coming on the podcast. Really enjoyed talking about Fred McGriff. Uh, Again, Fred McGriff, we're know whether or not he's in the Hall of Fame, at least this year, by December 4th. So not even two weeks out. We will know. So, so stay tuned for that. But that is all we have for today. If you don't already, follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, if it's still around at this point, uh, at Pod of Fame. 
Also, just to let you know, I I put out a Substack. It's new. Uh, I'm I'm gonna see what that's gonna be all about. But you can find that you know on Twitter. I'll link that on Twitter. I'll also link it um, in the podcast here. If anyone wants to go check out that, it'll be a nice compliment to all my episodes moving forward. So really excited about that. It's free to join. So feel free to subscribe to that as well. Um, and you know, have a great week. It's Thanksgiving. Hopefully you're having a few days off of work this week to relax, uh, spend time with your family, eat a ton of food. I mean, we got World Cup soccer on this week. On Thanksgiving, we had football and the World Cup, which is just ideal. And then USA England on Friday could not look could not be looking more forward to that. So a lot of fun stuff coming. So if you're traveling for the holidays, stay safe, stay warm. Uh, and we will talk to you next Monday. Have a great Thanksgiving week. Take care.